0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Good afternoon and welcome and Happy New Year. Welcome to our first Fight Back back of 2019 and it's a report that was intended to be the final word on the very controversial practice of carding. Justice Michael Tulloch concluded the practice has little or no value as a law enforcement tool and should be significantly limited across Ontario. The report does outline certain circumstances in which police have legitimate grounds to conduct street checks or stop people at random and request identifying information. Now, Tulloch was appointed by Ontario's previous Liberal government to assess the effectiveness of new regulations meant to limit the impact of street uh, checks on racialized groups. It was an independent judicial inquiry, but the conclusions are in line with the previous government's thinking. Now, does the fact that it was released in the afternoon on New Year's Eve mean the current government intends to shelve it? Uh, but in the midst of all of this, carding has actually already been severely. Limited. So we want to hear from you. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 740 And I am here with Nia Singh, who is a lawyer and an activist. He's a principal at Maat Legal Services. Nia, thanks for joining us.
0: Happy New Year, and thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. So uh, what is your take on this report?
0: Well, I'm glad it was summarized in such a concise manner that it has no value in law enforcement because it actually does not. It actually decreases the effectiveness of law enforcement. What you have is arbitrary detention of innocent civilians, and that's not acceptable in Canada or North America. And so the fact that we have a justice who's reviewed all the data that's come in is just confirming what the community has always known, that racial profiling is prevalent in Canada, it's prevalent in the GTA in Toronto, and it has to be stopped. And all the years of activism and work um, through the media, through Toronto Star, through other lawyers, through other community advocates, we finally got to a point where it's been acknowledged as a destructive practice. We've seen the data from the Toronto Star, and now we understand that it has to completely end. But what I really want listeners to understand is please don't misframe the actual um, instance of street checks or carding. seems like people always think it's related to a criminal offense, and which is completely false. Just think of yourself going to the store, walking down the street, shopping, minding your own business. This is when these interactions take place.
1: Okay. So we know obviously some of them are very bad, but th- this is the argument that I keep getting. Yeah. Um, so we've had an increase in gang violence here. And what... Some people are saying is that part of the reason for that is that these thugs are no longer worried about being stopped so they carry their guns in places where they would not have carried their guns otherwise and if they see somebody from a rival gang, they start shooting and it doesn't matter where they are. We've had little girls shot in playgrounds um, and uh, really uh, shootings happening in places where they didn't happen. Uh, What do you say to that argument?
0: That argument is completely dismantled when people look at the height of the summer of the gun in Two thousand and five, Carding was active and alive at that point. Yet we had 89 murders, I believe, in that year. Um, so they cannot equate violence, shootings, possessions of firearms with carding because people who commit crimes and who are carrying guns illegally are going to do it whether there's carding regulations or not. That's the reality. Um, Police have tools to investigate. They have tools to tap phone lines if there's suspicion. They have tools to stop people and question them if they're suspected of a crime. But if you're just a person walking down the street or just a person in a car, there's no reason for you to be suspected of the crime based on your appearance, which is usually related to the color of your skin. And that's the problem with carding. So... The fact that people say there's an increase in shootings, increase in shootings are happening because poverty is increasing increases in shooting are happening because education. People are getting kicked out of school more increases in shooting are happening because there is a decreased level of order. And, And that comes down to human behavior. You see it across the world. So it's not because police are not arbitrarily detaining people and finding guns because how often did they find guns? There's no stats to say how often they found guns. Carding didn't reduce crime. Carding just criminalized a community.
1: Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, the report does say there are circumstances when you can stop people. So what is your take on the correct circumstance for that? If if a cop suspects, I mean, cops who work in neighborhoods, I mean, they know who is who. So if they know that somebody is a gang member, can they stop them to check them for guns or...
0: If they know they're a gang member and they have reasonable suspicion, that's a lead-in to a search for a weapon. But if they believe someone's a gang member and there is no reasonable suspicion, if they're just going to the grocery store and walking home, then they're on shaky ground because there's no reasonable, objective purpose for the stop. They have to connect it. And and that's just something we expect from all people. Or else we'd be able to go into any neighborhood, any house, any community and say, hey, I, I just feel like taking you in or i think you're doing something wrong so i'm going to check you that takes away our civil liberties so if we as a society want to protect our civil liberties and not go to you know world war ii era where people are being rounded up based on their religion race or how they look we have to really protect all individual freedoms and that means not stopping people arbitrarily
1: Mm -hmm. Uh mm-hmm Again, um, you know, we've had instances, for instance, the uh, Peel Police Chief, Jennifer Evans, uh, she said that it was a problem, that carding was abolished. What do you say to her?
0: I think her behavior as a chief has been a problem in the sense that she has advocated illegal practices. Um, The police should know, and Jennifer Evans as a chief of police should know, that stopping people without just cause is a violation of your Charter of Rights. Searching people without cause is a violation of your Charter of Rights. So for the chief to advocate to infringe on people's rights is a problem. Um, She also was insubordinate to her board which directed her back in September, I think it was 2014 to suspend the practice of carding while the province worked on the regulations. They passed a vote 4-3 to in favor of suspending the practice and the chief refused. So I can't take the words of a chief that refuses orders from her board and is denying the fact that racial profiling exists in order to justify something.
1: The police chief in Ottawa also is a fan of carding.
0: All police chiefs, unfortunately, seem like they're going to be a fan of it. Well,
1: not not Mark Saunders in Toronto.
0: Well, you know, I like Chief Saunders, but when he first became chief, he was supporting Carding. And, and you can see newspaper reports about that. But he has since then changed his view. It, it, it seems like he's changed his view and become more open to understanding that. The police culture has to change, and he's introduced the Transformational Task Force, which now, unfortunately, the association president and has been in opposition to the transformations that he's bringing in. But even with the Ottawa Police Service, um, they they may be in favor of carding, but it's I would say it's lazy policing. It's lazy policing because if you think you can going to go into a neighborhood and look for all the young black kids and because they don't know their rights, they don't have money to afford a lawyer, they're not going to complain about you and they're not going to resist your illegal attempts at searching them, then that's lazy policing. I don't see police officers going into fraternities of high-end universities and colleges where rich kids are, where they're doing drugs, cocaine, or whatever they're doing illegally. I don't see them trying to stop them without just cause. So why should they target other communities? And I think, again, lazy policing because they know that those communities don't have um, the means. And it's primarily the African Canadian community and the indigenous community across Canada that gets targeted for this. And if we look at historically, it's those two community groups who have been oppressed by the crown or by the American government over centuries. And it results into discrimination, lack of education, lack of opportunity. And then, yes, those communities may be plagued with more situations of crime. But wherever you find poverty. But there's find also,
1: crime. I mean, black on black violence is a huge problem.
0: Sure, and and white-on-white violence is a huge problem. No one ever questions a white person when they kill another white person and say, oh my gosh, it's white-on-white violence. But every community has violence within their own community because they seem to be more susceptible to interacting with their own community. So black-on-black violence is a problem, but it's nothing different than any other community. The reason why it's such a problem, why it's so highlighted is because we understand the black community has enough problems as it is there's problems with education with employment with just racism in general so when they see a community turn on itself um it's it's puzzling but it's all due to internalized racism and and but we have to remember we cannot point out black on black violence and not acknowledge white on white violence or asian on asian violence or any other community that inflicts violence on itself
1: in terms of the politics of this this report was commissioned by the previous government. And uh, as I said, it was uh, released, definitely released at a time uh, when it was likely to get buried. I gather there is going to be a, a news conference on Friday, but really it was released on uh, in the afternoon, on New Year's Eve, ahead of a stat. Uh, what do you think the, I mean, what do you think the politics of this are going to be?
0: Unfortunately, it'll be brush under the rug. Um, It's probably not going to get the exposure that it deserves. But when it's going to become an issue is when the government, the conservative government, if they choose to do so, tries to introduce legislation um, making the practice of stopping people without cause legal. And that's when it's going to really hit the fan. And I, I hope that they don't do that. But it seems like that's what they're inching towards. Um, the government, Doug Ford, Premier Ford keeps mentioning removing the handcuffs from officers. And officers don't have any handcuffs on their duty. Um, uh, they're very well trained, they're very well compensated, and they're very well resourced. And that shouldn't be an issue that we're trying to expand powers of police when they already have maximum powers. What we should be trying to do is hold police accountable for any infringements because that's how you gain trust. The more the community can trust the police is the more the community and the police can work together. And it shouldn't be an us versus them. It should be all about community looking towards making sure that everybody's
2: safe.
1: Okay, uh, our lines are piled up. Uh, let's go to William in Toronto. Hi, William.
2: Hi, Libby. Um, I uh, read a, a nice article in the Toronto Star that addresses some issues that your guest has not addressed. That is very important, I think. One of them is collecting information for a database. Um, now, and, and Judge Tulloch recommends that that can only stay on record for Five years, and the phrase "known to police" is is, is, uh, is um, uh, outstanding there, and and, and it should not be there. And previous to this, there has been federal court uh, uh, legisl- uh, hearings that uh, legislate that uh, uh, police cannot keep any data, anything on database um, uh, after a certain period. And this was done by Justice Noel Law about ten years ago in the federal court, and it was just ignored, and they just keep all the information on the database. So that's my primary concern about carding. It's just to, <coughs> just to form a, um, a, a database and keep information on people.
1: Okay, thanks for that, uh, Tony in Niagara. You think carding is fine? Hi, how are you? Hi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I hope you had a good holiday. Thanks. Okay. I was on uh, the air uh, about a month ago. I was
3: about the same guy you got next to there. There's nothing wrong with carding. Like I said, I'm at a border town where it's really heavy-duty drugs, right? I drive to Toronto once, twice a week. Last year, 2018 there, I got stopped about three to four times. I don't mind. Give me uh, your insurance. Can I see your license? And that's about it. They, they look me over. That's their job. So what's a guy from four-day doing at Jane and Finch. It's very simple. I have my doctor there. I have my family there. I got buddies there. And that's the end of it. I don't run to the cop shop every time they they stop me. I think that's the way it should be. They have to check out what's going on. Simple.
1: Okay. I'll ask Nia to respond to that. Thanks, Tony.
0: sounds like that's part of Tony's line of work to cross the border. So yes, it's acceptable that you're going to get stopped and ask questions.
1: No, he said he's in the border town in Niagara. Okay. And it sounds like he's stopped when he's at Jane and Finch.
0: Well, I'm, I like to know how many times he's been stopped. But if he gets stopped and he's okay with it, that's fine. But I think people like me who have never been arrested, never been charged, and have been being stopped since the age of 17 consistently, it gets a little annoying after a while. Is, is it, is
1: the, the, it's DWB, driving while black? Driving
0: while black. I, I got stopped on a Saturday morning in a McDonald's parking lot getting my daughter and her friend food. There was nobody in the parking lot. And before I can reach the road, the officer pulled up behind me while she was eating her breakfast. She stopped eating to follow me, pulled up behind me and said, I pulled me over. I said, why are you stopping me? She says, oh, well, I punched up your plates. Nothing came up. So I thought I'd check you out. And really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, my daughter's crying in the background because she's so scared because she's seeing the police stopping her father. And I'm getting upset with the officer because I'm like, it's a Saturday morning. The sun is out. I'm with. Two children in the car trying to get them breakfast. Like, why are you stopping me, right? And that's just one example. So people who don't live in the skin that I'm in or the skin of Indigenous people or people who experience poverty all the time and aren't experiencing the harassment really don't understand what the stopping's about. If every interaction was a simple, hey, sir, can you can you show me some your re- registration? Because when you're driving a car, you have to show your license yeah. registration assurance. That's accepted. But if you're just a passenger in a car, If every time he was stopped and his wife or his girlfriend or his friend were asked questions and pulled out of the car and searched, I think he'd start to get uh, annoyed with it. So what the listeners really have to understand is the difference in experience between um, not being stopped because of race and being stopped because of race.
1: Okay. Diane in Toronto. Hi, Diane. Hi, Libby. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Good.
4: I'm just wanting to say, you know, clearly what we're doing now is not working as evidenced by all the shootings and stabbings and whatever that's been going on in the last year. So my opinion is that we really have to put more focus on who's raising these kids uh, and make sure that they have the tools, the support, whatever, parenting skills, call it what you will, because a lot of these kids, before birth, they're set up to live in poverty and to fail because of a lifestyle that seems to be very prevalent in our society now, this single mom syndrome. I want to be a single mom. That's fine if you can afford it and provide the support your child needs, do it. But when you're substituting the taxpayer for a spouse and you're looking for handouts, these kids don't have a chance from day one. So the focus has to be put on before they're born. Okay, thanks, Diane, for that.
0: Uh, I agree with Diane, and um, she makes a really good point. and, And the real fact is, We also have to look at the school system because when the kids aren't at home, they're in school and the highest proportion of of suspensions and expulsions is within certain communities. It's disproportionate. When you suspend a kid from school, you're taking their opportunity away from them. You're making it so they feel alienated. And then they start to get used to not being in school, hanging around with other kids who aren't in school. Petty crimes turn into more serious crimes. And that's the school-to-prison pipeline that we're experiencing right now. So Yeah, mu- but
1: on the other hand, people who are very disruptive in schools or violent in schools uh, disrupt everybody else's education. Definitely. But
0: as the contractor for the last year for school suspension expulsions, the majority of them were minor behavioral issues just as language or just attitude. Very... F- very, very minuscule amount were due to actual violence.
1: Okay. Now, callers, hang on. Uh, We're going to be going to Ross McLean in a moment for a different take on this. But in the meantime, Nia Singh, what would you like to leave us with on this report? I would
0: like people to just be very open-minded and understand this is a situation that's been happening for years, decades. It is based on race. The community is not imagining it. I don't know how many documentaries or reports or things we have to see to understand that there is a cultural problem with police and indigenous and African Canadian communities. And what we need is the community to say, police do their job correctly. And then, as a community, we need to support those who need the help from us.
1: Okay. Nia Singh, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Thank you, Libby. It's been a pleasure.
1: Okay. Appreciate it. Uh, And uh, I'm going to bring in Ross McLean. Hey, Ross. Hello? Hi, Libby. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Good. So, Ross, what is your take on this report?
3: Well, I've been on hold here. I've only been able to listen to the last couple of minutes of, uh, I guess, the guest was Nia Singh that you had on.
1: Yes, uh, he's actually still here listening to you, so go ahead. So
3: I was able to listen just to the last half of what he was talking about. And uh, look, the the position he's taking it from is, uh, I don't agree with it at all. He wants to say that every time he was stopped, it was simply because of the color of his skin. He wants to say that racism exists uh, on all the police forces and is well-established. Uh, that's not true. That is not true. That is that's an overgeneralization. He's basing on anecdotal information that he's working with. I, you know, I can tell you even way back in the day when I was doing the job, I used to get people tell me you're only stopping me because I'm black. They had no idea why I was stopping them. They don't know the information on the other side of the uh, on the other side of the glass when they're being spoken to in their car. So to make these vast generalizations to say that this is a problem. I don't buy it.
1: Okay, well, you know, um, that probably was a generalization, but I think it's safe to say that there is a certain amount of of racism in the police force because there's a certain amount of racism in society. Uh,
3: No, you know what? It's it's interesting to put it that way. Once again, that sounds very general, and it makes it sound like on the police force, people tolerate having racism from the police force because that's what they deal with. I will tell you, That the police officers that I worked with, police officers that I know, police officers that I talked to, they don't tolerate racists. They've got no time for it. And in fact, they would deal with, with, with it themselves if they thought it was a problem. So the fact that someone wants to claim there's a problem doesn't mean that there is a problem. You want to look at the problems that I'm seeing. Uh, within the community. And I've seen them and I've talked to them. I've talked to the victims of stray bullets, of, of being shot, people who are ending up as paraplegics, people who don't walk great again, mothers who've lost their, their sons, and, and, and those sort of things that are going on that are happening to people in the black community. It's happening to them. The numbers are outrageous, what the odds are of being shot if you're black. Yeah, in this city. And it's not because the police are racist that these problems are going on. And this is what we need to deal with here.
1: Okay. Uh, so let's m- move on to the meat of the report, which says uh, this practice is a problem and it should be severely curtailed. And it already sure. has been severely curtailed.
3: Well, it has been severely curtailed, and we've seen the results of it, and we have the results of it. And, you know, the report by the, by the justice, as I say, if you read his conclusionary summary line that he put in for it, it's a, very, it's a very cleverly worded lawyerly line that sort of defines carding as saying, if you're just randomly stopping people for no reason that's arbitrary and you're just doing it, that would seem to have no effect on policing. Well, you know what? There isn't any police officer anywhere that doesn't agree with that. Chief Saunders in Toronto agrees with that. When you're doing uh, carding and you're checking people and it's done properly, it's not done randomly and arbitrarily and for no reason. And when you do do it that way, it is effective.
1: Uh, the, presumably, yes. I mean, uh, Nia Singh was telling us about being stopped randomly. I know people who've been stopped randomly, so I don't think you can say well, that random, that never randomly, happens. Libby,
3: in their opinion... As, as I heard Nia at, at the end there saying he was in a McDonald's parking lot and the police didn't understand all of the background that he was there with his daughter and she was, well, he doesn't really know why the police came up and talked to him. I'm telling you, if I'm a police officer, I'm looking at a suspect who may have been involved in something and I'm checking someone out and they say to me, why are you stopping me? I'm not going to tell them that I'm looking for a car looking like this and a suspect that looks like this and everything else in case that's the person I'm dealing with, for one. So... The fact that it appears random to him is only because he doesn't necessarily have all the information.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a a very notorious case of a guy I used to work with uh, named Dwight Drummond, who is now an anchor on CBC. And he was stopped. It was late at night. He was an assignment editor at the time. And he bent down to uh, he was just off shift. He bent down to... uh, in the passenger seat to pick up a piece of fried chicken or something. And uh, like there was a whole takedown because people assumed it was a gun. I mean, you know, stuff like that does happen.
3: Yeah. And you know what? Uh, Police officers do get shot. People do commit crimes. They do resist the police uh, if they are doing something wrong. And you have to take those sort of things into consideration as well. To, To say that the police are absolutely perfect with every investigation they do while they're working on behalf of the community, particularly in high crime areas where there's mass victimization of people and there's really violent offenses.
0: I mean, that's pretty
3: tricky territory to be working in, Libby.
1: Okay. I'm going to let Nia uh, respond to that. So let's just hear what he has to say.
0: Good afternoon, Ross. I just want to say that um, I have a lot of respect for police officers. It takes a lot of guts to put your life on the line daily. And I've met quite a few many good police officers but have also encountered ones that weren't so good. So I'm just curious for you, knowing all this data exists, all these reports have taken place, you have a lawyer here speaking to you as a 44 year old man who's lived in Toronto his whole life, doesn't have a criminal record, never been charged and I'm sharing with you my experiences about being targeted by police based on my colour what is your resistance to accepting the facts that racism exists within the police force?
3: You're telling me, I'd like you to prove that assertion that a police officer pulled you over, arrested you or did something to you. And you said, why are you doing this? And they said to you, we're doing it because you're black.
0: Yeah, I have two instances of that. Um, after I did a Green Party volunteer campaign while I was running, I was stopped at Tapscott and Finch. I was actually trailed by the officer. He revved his engine, raced in front of me, pulled up behind me. And then when I finally made a left turn, he pulled me over. I said officer why are you stopping me he says oh well you know we stop people in this area and sometimes we find guns and drugs so I thought I'd stop you and I said you know that's textbook racial profiling and I can
3: no, show it's not you that's criminal profiling
0: based on race no based
3: I, on the location
0: no if I was a 60 year old white female he wouldn't have pulled me over
3: you know look, look do you know who's, who's cr- carded more in Toronto Let's go back to the old studies on this. Who's carted more? White people or black people?
0: There's more white people, so white people. What's the disproportionate? It's twelve to one. Okay. How many? Race.
3: Okay. Now let's talk about the crime that takes place. Yes. Who the murders? What proportion of young black men are murdered relative to white men in this in this in this city?
0: A high proportion.
3: A high proportion. Now, what what do you think is attributable to that? Do you want to see that stopped?
0: I do want to see it stopped. So let's start using our resources properly instead of blaming the victim. Let's start giving resources to families and schools to make sure that these kids have a proper future.
1: Okay, wait. I'm going to have to jump in here because uh, we're we're running out of time. Obviously, uh, two very different takes on this. I am going to take one call. And then uh we're going to move on to our next topic, which is uh arrest for drunk driving, naming and shaming. Uh, we have a great debate going on here, and uh it will likely continue. I'm going to take a call from Sandra in Toronto. Hi, Sandra.
4: Hi, Libby. It's good to have you back on on online Thank on you the radio. <laughs> uh thank you for taking my call real quickly. Um, I was listening to the debate and I was uh going back and forth as to exactly the point I wanted to make. And I want to make the point that it definitely is racial profiling by the, in my opinion, by the, uh, the police department when it comes to minorities. My son is First, First Nation, and he's in, he went to, I'll just give you an incident, he was a university student, and he also went to a uh, DeVry He was driving his vehicle middle of the afternoon, pulled into a gas station, and he was going to fill up his gas tank. At this point, he was uh, wearing his hair real long, and he had one single braid down down the back of him. A police cruiser was following him, and for no reason other than he could figure out and we could figure out, was they stopped him because of that braid. And what happened was when he was getting ready to put the gas tank into, uh, the nozzle into his gas tank, the police officers both grabbed him by each of the arms, banged him over the top of his trunk of the car, took out his uh, personal identification and said, hey, where'd you get this ID? Where'd you get this ID? It was his post-secondary ID. And at that time, he had his—he was wearing his hair short. So uh, the only thing uh, he could think of, like he was shocked and the only thing he could think of to say was hey that's me that's me and they were saying no you're lying you're lying because they could it, it, it sounds stupid it sounds like something out of a television drama or a show or something but it does happen until it happens to somebody else you cannot say it doesn't happen it does happen I'm not saying all the police department but there are those a few people who do do that okay
1: Sandra thank you for sharing that story Thank you. Okay, so the debate continues. Um, I think it is fair to say that it does happen. How much it happens, that's a debate. Uh, Ross has some excellent points. And um, still not clear if, uh, you know, that increase in what we're seeing happening on the streets is related to this. I'm going to have to wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Ross McLean. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Libby. Okay, and thanks again, Nia Singh. And thank you, callers. And remember, Free For All Friday is coming up. If we could not get to your call, we've got to take a break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, drunk driving, another big problem in society. And uh, York Region is handling it by naming and shaming, among other tools. And this amid increased penalties for drunk driving. We'll be on that when we return.